My name is Alicia Herrick, and you're listening to Tending the Shadows. Hello, hello, welcome, and thank you for listening to this very first episode of Tending the Shadows. As things are continuing to unfold in the world around us, both in our interpersonal lives and in the global collective that we're a part of, uh, tending the shadows seemed like the right the right kind of framework where we're going to kind of sit with each other and talk about some of these kind of under the surface kind of things. And when it comes to those unconscious or under the surface things, really what we're talking about is shadow work. And so I have a guest on, my very first guest. I'm so excited. Her name is Dr. Amon Gohal. And when I thought about who to talk to about shadow work, she of course is my number one always. And Amon is an executive coach who specializes in what she calls coaching the hidden dimensions of the unconscious. Her work centers on both uncovering and then integrating the unconscious patterns that we have through a course she's developed called Shadow Inquiry. And we will talk all about it in this episode. I hope you enjoy. It's so great to finally have this conversation with you. I feel like we've been in conversation around these things for a long time. Before we get started, I was wondering if you could share with listeners a little bit about your experience that led you to this type of work and this concept of shadow work. Yeah, so personal or professional or both? Uh, Let's do a little bit of both. Okay, so professional experience. I have been in the field of leadership development for 17 years and a coach for over 12 years, an executive coach for over 12 years. And I have also been studying human development and spirituality through multiple means. I have a doctorate in human development and I became a meditation teacher when I was about 20. So I've kind of intersected a lot of these different things, leadership, coaching, human development, spirituality, most of my life and career. And I did that formally in organizations. And then now I am, I'm independent. Personally, I think the journey has been very parallel where I was living through a a social identity and a persona based on my upbringing and what I thought was acceptable or successful. And so that really carried a lot of my professional identity early on. And then that persona started to break down as I just started to developmentally grow through my own questioning, as well as health challenges, crises, divorce, you know, life really breaking at the structures and the the bars of my ego. So what intrigued me about shadow work is that I see it as a doorway to the true self and that we create prison structures for ourselves through the, the ego and what the ego gets fixated on, especially in terms of trying to create a social identity to fit in. So 
both personal and professional pathways have been very parallel and they collided in my own shadow work. It's a very long-winded answer. <laughs> I love that. One of the things that I think you, the thing that you said that I really love is that shadow work is the doorway to the true self. And so could you share a little bit about what you, how would you define shadow work? What is it exactly? Yeah. So I actually just finished writing a blog about this today that I posted on my, my website and it's called from prisons to prisms. And the, the ego is a, a neutral construct in my work and my approach where it is reconciling our internal needs, desires with external reality and who and what we think we need to be to attain, create that reality that aligns with our internal needs, desires, values. And depending upon a person's upbringing, if there was a lot of acceptance and allowance, uh, affirmation, what Dave Rico calls the five A's, then there's a lot more spaciousness developmentally to really expand into one's own identity. But that is usually more authentic. And if there wasn't a lot of that, if there was more control, rigidity, dysfunction, uh, needing to fall into caretaking, codependency, then the ego continuously adapted to the environment and that adaptation became the structures to survive, to stay safe. And over time, that adaptation became one's identity. And so I think that shadow work is actually most beneficial for people where there's an opportunity for deeper healing and growth, as well as potential into one's true self or one's true identity and to let go of some of those uh, prison structures that the ego has created. And once that happens, instead of there being a prison internally, there's a prism where there's this transparency and uh, ability for the beautiful varying rays of light within to shine forward. Mm, that's beautiful. When you're describing these adaptations, could you share a few examples of what that might look like? Yeah. So the Enneagram, I think is a good example of this. There's nine different types and they're not actually personality types like with other personality assessments. They're more ways that the ego has adapted and gotten fixated based on how it has interpreted reality. And our adaptation could be, I need to earn my place. And that could include earning love. And so then everything that I do is to be valuable or to earn. And this is often with the, the Enneagram type three, which is also called the achiever, where there's this sort of constant ego fixation on productivity and achievement and earning one's place and being 
the, the picture of success and the ego's adaptation is trying to mimic what it, um, its essential self or true self really is. So the, the adaptation is I need to do more of this in order to get uh, my needs met or be seen or be acknowledged or be valuable. So for some that is, I need to work harder, earn, be valuable. That's an adaptation for others. It might be, I need to be really helpful and uh, I need to give continuously. So that's more like a two. I need to have a lot of life experiences and uh, avoid pain. That's another adaptation. I need to strive toward perfection and being right. And that way I will be okay and safe and seen. So that's, that's more like a one. So these adaptations are just these, these coping mechanisms that have then become part of one's identity because the ego is so fixated on them. I'm thinking about some of my own experiences with these ego fixations. There were a couple of them that you mentioned that I'm like, yep, that I've had that experience, the feeling like I needed to be right in order to not be hurt in order to not have any harm caused to me or experience any type of harm. Is that a, a good example too? Yeah. And that's the, you know, one of the key purposes of the ego is to help us stay safe and to help us survive and to also help us get our needs met and navigate through the world. It's an executive function for our way of being in the world. And when that executive function has had to over adapt in an environment where it was not safe or okay, unless we adapted, then those structures are built and then that becomes a way of being or a personality or a persona that we wear until we overdo it, <laughs> which it can often be the case or the way of adapting and coping has become so unhealthy that we start to question ourselves and the way that we're operating in the world. And that self-questioning is the first moment where we start to do our shadow work. Yeah. Ooh. Um, <laughs> that self-questioning, I'm remembering when we were working together and I had said to you, you had, you had said something like um, your work is around kind of gently prodding and poking people to start looking at the shadow and start to see kind of what's below the surface. And I remember being like, being like, I'm on, poke me, where's my shadow? <laughs> and uh, you gave me a really like you gave me a powerful book that essentially I would say catalyzed, catalyzed this deep shadow work for me. And I think I was doing kind of surface level shadow work. And when you gave me the book, um, I believe it was Jonathan Bradshaw's healing the shame that binds you mm -hmm. that book kind of put me face to face with the adaptations that you're describing and so I'm wondering from your perspective and your experience, 
how do people like be truthful or, or not truthful? How do people get to that point of like deep shadow work? Because I thought I was doing shadow work. I thought I was looking at myself and then I was like, oh no, I really wasn't. <laughs> well, what would help me and uh, unpack that distinction with you is to to understand what that distinction was like for you, where you thought you were doing it and you weren't. And then I just wanted to add that that uh, I would like to I would like to see my contribution as waving a flag to those that are interested, rather than going around and poking. <laughs> which I may have done at some point. And I have since learned in many humble ways that um, this work is not possible until people are truly ready. And it also is not safe or responsible until they're truly ready. So um, I think it's good to wave a flag and people really need to choose it and want it for themselves. So uh, how do you see that distinction of uh, surface level versus doing deeper work. Yeah. Um, you know, as I'm reflecting back on it, a lot of the surface level work I was doing was around how do I still make everyone around me happy? So it was like, okay, how do I resolve judgment of others so that I'm not going around, you know, trying to tell people they're doing something wrong because I don't want people to feel bad. And it was all motivated by this, this need or this desire to maintain balance. And I'm an Enneagram nine. So it was all about keeping the peace and keeping the harmony around me so that I could stay safe or at least have an illusion of safety. And I thought that was the good work. You know, I thought that was the work of I thought that was the shadow work. Okay, I'm dealing with my triggers. I'm dealing with my judgments. I'm dealing with my capacity for self-compassion. And then when I started reading that book, it, it kind of illuminated the ways that what I was actually doing was can be construed as manipulative. I was manipulating people towards some type of feeling or emotion uh, that I wanted them to feel so that I could feel safe. Thank you for sharing that, Alicia. And, and I could see that as when I first started to become aware of things that were laying dormant below the surface, the first inclination was, well, how do I fix or manage this? Or how do I develop through this? as opposed to an embrace of what it is and an integration and a movement toward it, there's something that, that needs to be done about it. And I can give you my own example of when I started to discover my own tendencies as a two and some of the unhealthy tendencies. Well, then it was, okay, now how do I develop through this or you know, navigate it. And it, it's a way not only of manipulating others, but also manipulating self. And so it's, it's part of, I think, in my own experience, that first phase of seeing. And then the next phase is starting to let go and allow and integrate. 
And that's where it's, it's much more about acceptance than it is. How do I continue to manage or fix myself and others, which comes from a very false self ego oriented place. Does that resonate with you? Oh yeah. If you could see my face, I'm smiling because that was exactly the journey. It was okay. You know, there's nothing to fix, right? What if there's nothing to fix and how can I accept myself and others as they are, you know, rather than trying to solve it because the adaptation was a part. And if I'm interpreting this right, the way I'm sensing into it is the adaptation is still based in survival, even if it's seen as like, oh, I'm creating harmony or I'm helping people or I'm just having fun or whatever it is. It's still the root is it it's around needing to survive. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's, um, well said that, um, that it is, it's still about survival. And so that's where, you know, this shadow work is part of a larger human development journey. It's part of a larger unfolding that's naturally happening. And when we try to fix our shadows, we're essentially blocking the unfolding or the natural development. And it can be scary as uh, I started to become more aware of traits and characteristics that I repressed in the shadow and they were unwinding. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, of course the, the false self would be terrified because it means that this, this new self is dawning and wants to come into integration and that could be very threatening. So that's where a lot of this work, uh, it helps one. I, I constantly tell people don't go it alone. Uh, Ideally, a person is working with a therapist, a coach, a spiritual teacher, and maybe even all three in their developmental journey and to not go it alone and to be very gentle because at the core of a lot of shadow work is shame and starting to look at areas within ourselves that we have not allowed or repressed could bring forward more shame. And so being very gentle, being very loving and compassionate and accepting, that's the work of integration. It's not judgment or fixing or managing. That's where it is more driven by the false self trying to stay safe and just stay in charge. I'm I'm hearing you say things about emerging, unfolding and integration. So is that the goal? Should we, is that what we're supposed to do? What what are we supposed to do with this? Nothing. (laughs) Feed my achiever, Amon. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, nothing. And, uh, this is where my training as a spiritual teacher was, was very helpful because in the Vedic tradition, uh, I was taught in a method called Sahaj Samadhi meditation, which Sanskrit term, Sahaj means effortless and Samadhi is bliss. And in teaching meditation, it's all about effortlessness mm. because the moment we start to force 
an experience or a practice or a technique or even forced development, we're doing the opposite of development. We're doing the opposite of allowing and accepting and being with. And so it's, it's a very important distinction is this is where our doing self will run into some walls and we just need to rest in trusting, trusting ourselves and trusting that what will come to the surface is something that we can embrace and we can accept. And my own experience of things moving to the surface has been through dreams, meditation, therapy, coaching work. And as things start to surface, it can be a little shocking, like, whoa, I, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) I see that. And I don't know how I feel about it right now. And so that's where I experienced getting triggered or falling back into, oh, this is something that I I need to take care of or to manage or to make sure it doesn't completely derail my life. But if it does derail my life, maybe that could be a way of expansion and integration. I don't know. But I do know that fighting with myself doesn't work. So the allowance and the acceptance of shadow content is very important because again, there can be uh, for many, a lot of shame at the core. So how does one, you said, you know, don't go it alone if you can, what kinds of ways or what, in what ways can people start to, who are ready, right? Cause you said there has to be some readiness and willingness what is your recommendation? Where do we go? Well, it depends on who the we are. <laughs> and, <laughs> and if there's, uh, I think if there's so many uh, entry points and one entry point is obviously therapy that's going to really go into a lot of the wounds and the past and is going to look at the original interpretations of the ego, which I think is, is incredibly powerful. And I find therapy as a modality and a professional service, uh, very, very powerful within that realm. There's multiple approaches and I prefer a holistic approach that integrates the body. So somatic experiencing somatic therapy that integrates the breath that has a a spiritual component to it because shadow work is by no way means all about just staying in trauma and just relishing in that. I think that's another form of actually a self-defeating and potentially self-destructive path is just to stay in it repetitively And so without the complementary forces of our our body, our breath, wisdom, and uh, movement and practices, it's, it's very easy just to stay in a swirl there or what they call in somatic experiencing the trauma vortex. And so having that sort of counter vortex from a coaching and human development perspective, in my work in Shadow Inquiry, uh, the program, I tell people that what I focus on is potential, not pathology. So we're looking to embrace the potential that has been hidden. And for people that come from 
certain families where they had to be a certain way and they had to choose a certain profession or they had to follow a certain path in life. There's a lot of parts of their identity and authentic being that are in the shadow. There's a lot of potential that's there. So the reintegration of that potential is what I focus on in shadow inquiry and in the coaching program. And from a coaching perspective, it is more present to future oriented. So it's looking at the past and the shadow for the sake of understanding the patterns, for the sake of understanding what is untapped that could be tapped into and how to carry that potential into life today and the vision that people have for themselves. So what I'm hearing and how I'm synthesizing it, Amon, is that when we start to become aware that there is a potential shadow or a potentiality of our own identity that's been hidden because we have been living in a world that often demands us to make these adaptations, right? For so many reasons, there are so many reasons why we might need to adapt in this world. And the shadow inquiry is really looking for what is potentially hidden. Is that right? Yes. And that's what I call it is coaching hidden dimensions. I love that. Honoring these other dimensions of ourselves that uh, we haven't allowed to, to be seen. And there's a piece of denial that obviously plays plays a great role in blocking shadow work. And I love the acronym for denial. Didn't even know I was lying uh, or you know, that I'm lying to myself and others. In, and our social constructs can put people into these boxes and have certain gender expectations or you know, various expectations of people based on very superficial identities. For example, women and and young girls are taught to be sugar and spice and everything nice. And the good girl construct is something that a lot of women leaders are really slashing down, that being a good girl and having to fit this sort of pure image of what it means to be good has stripped women away from their power and their potential. A lot of women's leadership programs look at shadow work because so much of their true voice and power is in the shadow. It's not in the good girl persona that many women uh, and girls across cultures are trained to be in. And when we look at the numbers of uh, codependency and narcissism across men and women, is it surprising to find that a majority of people that are codependent are women because of how we're taught to put others first, to be so um, self-sacrificing, to be very nurturing, to be very good. And how much that costs us in terms of our voice and our power. And where does all of that go? That that goes in the shadow. So I think the shadow work can be particularly powerful for women, for BIPOC communities, 
for communities where you just haven't been allowed to be your authentic self within our heteronormative culture. I wanted to ask you, what are some examples that you see, concrete day-to-day examples where people can be putting on a persona and hiding their shadow self? Yeah, so the distinction I think between the good girl and the people pleaser is like, the good girl is is hiding and quiet and doesn't want to make waves. So it's kind of like the person in the background, whereas the people pleaser is often hyper vigilant and like going to meet people where they are or trying to anticipate the needs of others and being more visible. So there's like an energetic difference, I think, between these two adaptations. Another adaptation that I personally relate to is the rescuer, the one that feels like I need to save people and that like, that's my purpose. (laughs) And like, oh man, that's been a really tough one to, to navigate. Right. Because every day we're being bombarded with, with tragedy and it's like, okay, I care so deeply. I want to help people. I should help people. That's the right human thing to do. And it's like, it's impossible. I cannot save the world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and it, those are very common ones, the people pleasing, hiding by being good, rescuing, and they're all ways that we try to control. And that's a big piece of the ego in shadow work is recognizing how often we may be employing different adaptation strategies in order to stay in control. Mm-hmm. And a big part of shadow work is looking at those, those ways where we need to continuously be in control and starting to loosen that and starting to trust that there can be another way or an alternative or that we don't need to play those roles in order to have a sense of control. Yeah. You know, a, a couple other things that are coming to mind, we both work with leaders. So what are some of the ways or adaptations you see in leadership? So I see, I often actually see sometimes the people pleasing and more often than not suppression. Mm. And the suppression will look like having a seat at the table, but not saying it anything because they don't want to upset other authority figures that are there. And there's so many different directions, you know, you can go in with the shadow. It's a, the shadow is simply the unconscious. So when Carl Jung coined the term, all he meant by shadow was the unconscious and that we cannot know it directly. We start to know it through our patterns, through our life experiences, through even and especially our crises. And what I have, I have seen in leadership roles is these sort of shadow power patterns that they get into with other leaders of who they don't mind rocking the boat with and who they definitely don't want to rock the boat with or uh, situations where they don't want to be vulnerable or state their truth. And that suppression can, can be helpful when, you know, you're holding back and deliberately being reflective. And over time, the suppression can be very detrimental when you're constantly sitting on and squishing down your own voice. 
to maintain this false presence and false persona. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful one. Another one that I see in leaders sometimes, I wonder how often you see it, but the hero, yeah. the rescuer, I think it's another side of the coin of the rescuer of like the self-sacrificing, putting everyone first, or maybe jumping in to rescue or be the hero for people that actually they don't need you to be that way as a leader. Yeah, there's a, another blog that I've written about how heroes and star performers enable dysfunctional systems. And, and it's sort of a, a systemic shadow pattern and shadows across systems is something that I'm going to dive into in the level two program. But uh, sometimes I will see, you know, a dysfunctional system that continues to operate because of the hero or the person that is pleasing or is taking on more of the work or is, you know, positioning themselves for, you know, the, the upward mobility that they have in mind. But, you know, the ongoing self-sacrificial nature uh, is heroic in the moment. And over time, it is undermining both the person as well as the entire system. It's a very unconscious pattern. Wow. I think, uh, yeah, that I have definitely, as you're saying that it's like things are starting to click into place, uh, places that I've worked and organizations and leaders that I've talked to. Um, because so many people, you know, part of the adaptation that got them in those leadership roles is let me save the day. Let me save the project. Let me save the company money. And then they get into these leadership positions or roles and yeah, they don't, we don't even notice or, or I can identify how it's causing greater disruption. Yeah, we can, we can see the our shadow through our patterns and the patterns that we get into with others. And Brene Brown had that concept of over-functioning, under-functioning. So you can see that on teams and with groups is where there is under-functioning somewhere, there's also over-functioning somewhere else. I'm wondering too, Amon, if you could share just some of what you've seen in your work, either with clients or your students in this program around what potentials have emerged. What have yeah. you seen come through? Well, it was, it was the big reason why I decided to offer this as a program is because I started to do shadow coaching work with some of my own coaching clients. And I noticed the expansion in their development and their vision was uh, moving pretty rapidly and, and in a pretty focused way toward their authentic vision for themselves. So I, I have had clients that have moved from, uh, and I'm going to talk about my women clients first or clients that I identify as women that have felt like they were constantly sacrificing a big part of themselves to put on the persona and the stilettos and the outfit and go to work and be who they were expected to be, even if they were in very senior executive positions. And I have watched those women go on to leave very constrictive companies and start their own companies. And I have also watched women who were keeping a lot of their power in the shadow and were caught in narratives of 
what they could not do, what they did not have choice over, and really crush their own victim mindset and move into much more senior positions where they allowed themselves to own their power and authority. So I, I saw those dramatic results and then I started to coach fellow coaches as part of a, a faculty in a coaching program that, that I teach in. And they experienced similar results. So they're like, wow, I'm really having access to a voice within and a strength within that I didn't have access to before. And it's really scary because I don't know if, if this is going to be acceptable. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to lose the, uh, you know, the approval or the way people might perceive me, but regardless, they, they went for it. And so I just started to see a lot of expansion and growth in people's lives. And these coaches in turn encouraged me to offer this as a program, which is how shadow inquiry came to be. So I'm just geeking out over here. I love all of this work so much. When, if you could think of like one key takeaway that you think people who are interested in this work, cause you know, this podcast episode is like, what is shadow work? Mm-hmm. And so people clicking on this are going to be curious. They want to know what would you say is like the one big takeaway you would hope people walk away from with? Well, what I hope people walk away with is that the shadow is not scary and it's not bad and it's not wicked or anything like that. It's the opposite of that. It is the source of truth. It is a source of authenticity and it is a part of our inherent wholeness. And I would hope that people would embrace more of themselves and their inner life in order to have Uh, an outer life that is aligned with who they really are. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much, Amon. I, I know that we could probably talk about this topic for a long time, and I want to have you back on again, where we can talk more about how our individual shadows show up in the collective. I think that'll be a really interesting conversation. But in the meantime, I'd love for people, if they're interested in exploring shadow work with you, can you tell us a little bit about your offering, how to work with you? Where can people get to work together with you on this work? Sure. So thank you so much for that, Alicia. I would love that as well. And I have a program coming up in April. It's the four Fridays in April from 9 a.m. to 12 noon Pacific time where There will be four live sessions with me and then a mentor coaching session in between where uh, if you sign up, you can work with a group of people and a mentor coach. And uh, that's coming up very soon. It's the level one shadow inquiry program and there will be a level two program where we'll go uh, the next layer deeper in the fall. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much, Amon. I know we're at time, so I want to be thoughtful and respectful of that. Amon, this has been such a wonderful- Oh, Alicia, I wanted to mention one more thing. So you asked for pathways to do shadow work, and I mentioned therapy and coaching and um, spiritual development. I also, a big part of spiritual development is group work and including the 12-step community 
what I admire about the 12 step community and doing shadow work is that there's no imposed ideology uh, and there's no imposed concept of a higher power. There are the steps, of course, but it, that's another great entry into to shadow work. Great. So to summarize, you know, if, if someone's listening and they, they're interested in embarking on this journey, they can find a therapist that's willing to go there, find a coach who has skill in navigating that space. You mentioned group work and mm -hmm. the program that you're running, Shadow Inquiry is a group program yep. and also 12 step. Yeah. Those are some incredible entry points, I will say. <laughs> well, I will be sure to include the link to your website where folks can register. And uh, I look forward to having you on again and continuing this conversation, Amon. Thank you so much for having this, the time to talk with me about this. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Alicia. I really appreciate your interest and curiosity in this area of development and my website is wateroflifecoaching.com. There is a early bird uh, discount code, uh, golden, because we talk about the golden shadow, which is when we start to integrate this side of us and move into greater wholeness. And there's also scholarships available for those who have been financially impacted by the past few years. Ah, wonderful. Thank you so much, Amon. Thank you so much for listening to Tending the Shadows. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me via email at coaching at aliciaherrick.com. I'm also going to link all of the resources that Amon and I discussed in the show notes of this episode. And I hope that you join me for another episode very soon. Take care. <music>